Hello and welcome to the Potshot Podcast, an Arsenal podcast for nerds. I'm Alex Towles, and after a couple-week hiatus, it's Alex Collins. Hello. <laughs> it's good to be back. Um, how are you? I'm doing well. I- I've been I- I've been busy. The new Football Manager game has come out, so I've been playing a lot of that. And if you want to hear more about that, well, oh boy, have I got something for you. Uh, I started another <laughs> podcast. Uh, you can go and listen to A Thousand Hours, a Football Manager podcast on any a- any platform which you can find this podcast on. Uh, it's there. You can go and listen to it. Uh, if you want to hear me talk about Football Manager with a couple of my mates, it's a lot more laid back than this pod. I've been there for a couple of weeks and you've gone and made a pod with other Alexes, so it's good to know. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's genuinely really funny how like all of the people I know who like I want to make podcasts with are also called Alex. It's really weird. <laughs> Same with but me. It is, it is what it is. What, what have you been up to in the last couple of weeks, Alex? Yeah, going through life, but I'm hopefully on the, on the end of it. At the end of it, hey, you did a big you did a big essay for your course, did you not? Yes, I did. So yeah, good to get. But I have been watching the games, and I've rewatched the games largely. The three that I, well, the two that I haven't discussed, and then, um, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting about the Europa League as well. Very willingly there, and then yeah, Chelsea, which happened this weekend, which we'll be getting into today. Yeah, absolutely. There has been a lot of football that's happened since the last time we sat down to have a chat, and we will be talking about. Some of it. Uh, we are going to talk through our three most recent Premier League games today. Uh, we're not really going to have a think too much about the Europa League, uh, though it is sure there as a thing that happened. We're through. Manchester United are not. Get fucked, United. United um, are through. Yeah, they're, they're, they're through, but they've got to play Barcelona. And, like, that's a whole thing. It's, <laughs> it's not something we have to worry about. Get fucked, United. Um, but, yeah, we're going to talk about Southampton, Forest, and Chelsea. Uh, and just have a have a think about what these games tell us about how we've been playing in the last little while because I think they're they're a pretty good sample of like the range of performances that Arsenal have put out this season. So it'll be a good it, it's it's the, these are a good selection of games to chat about to chat about how we've been playing the season as a whole. Uh, we're also then going to talk about some of the key players that have been consistent through those games or will have emerged during those games uh, before having a quick look ahead to the January transfer window as some rumours have started to swell. Uh, you excited, Alex? Yeah, let's get into it. So we'll start with the most recent game and the game which a lot of people are, I'd say, most excited about our performance in. Like, I've seen a lot of a lot of buzz, a lot of confidence around how we played in the Chelsea game. A 1-0 victory away at Stamford Bridge, and the key word that I've seen a lot of people say is control. We were in control the whole game. Would you agree? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think that's probably why it's been such a big game for most people. I mean, it's not the same as, what was it, 3-1 over Spurs, and then then the the Liverpool game, we also kind of, you know, scored more than we did this game. But I think just the fact that we never really were the weaker side at any point, bar like the odd moment, I think we just completely dominated them on their own turf. Um, and we really could have, like, had more. 3-0 would not have been, like, a ridiculous result. And to do that at Stamford Bridge, obviously we have 
we have a good record there at the moment in recent years. Mm. But I think this is by far our most convincing performance there, like that I can remember, to be honest. So yeah. As much as Chelsea are a relatively new Graham Potter side, they perhaps aren't quite as well drilled as Brighton were when we've had problems facing them in the past. It is still a Potter side, and we have had troubles facing those in the past, and we kind of brushed past them entirely. Like, do you have any thoughts about like the tactical matchup in this game? Yeah, so I remember speaking a few weeks back saying that like Potter was the one I was really worried about because he has had Arteta's number, and I think he's a he's a very intelligent manager. He's very good at. Um, I know John McKenzie. Uh, friend of the pod being on the pod all that speaks about him as a problem solving manager and I think that's just a great way of describing him as a coach and I think with how Arteta I mean we have a very complex system but I did kind of think like okay if there's any kind of coach in the league that I think could prepare against what we do well it could be Potter I think for them it's just that they he's not had enough time with the team it's it's proven I, I don't think that their pressing was very good against us I think that also was an issue that they had against United that kind of made him have to kind of throw out, like tear up the plan and, and change it like 30 minutes in. So, so it's obviously something he's going like through with his own team. And this isn't like the Potter side that we're going to, you know, that, that we've beaten like the ultimate like idea of what Potter wants. But having said that, it's still a good team. It's a team we've struggled against. And I think we just handled them really, really well. And he struggled to come up with anything that kind of countered what we did well. I think the one thing that he did is he used Sterling quite wide to make make use of that like space out on the left that we left open. And that did come through, you know, it had it had the odd moment. There were two nice balls, I think both for Kai Havertz, that he kind of played for the underlapping run. Both which could have caused us more problem than they problems than they ultimately did. But, but other than that, I really struggle to think of any real moment that they had that threatened us. I think we completely dominated them. And yeah, it was an it was an ultimate show of like the sort of control that Arteta wants this team to have. And that's kind of always been the thing that I think that he's prioritized. And now we've just added so much attacking threat onto the end of that. Yeah, I I feel like this is something I've said before this season uh, about us against the Big Six. But normally watching these games as an Arsenal fan is a kind of tetchy, tight-wound experience. Like, you're kind of worried, always stressed about, like, the next big cock-up that's coming around the corner that means we're going to let it slip and concede three in a row and lose the game. But in this game, like, Chelsea had, like, no threat. Like, it was was the most chill viewing (laughs) performance of an Arsenal-Chelsea game I can remember. Like, at no point was I like, oh my god, we're about to throw this away. Yeah, you see, I'm a coward, so I always have that feeling that we will. But even at the end of the game, I was was worried that I was like, ah, they really could score at any moment, something's gonna go wrong. But at the same time, I did kind of feel that we were the more likely team to score right until the end. Even when we were trying to, you know, run down the clock, I felt like if any team was gonna score, it would be more likely to be us. So... Yeah, it was it was a good game. I think it's just been a really good season so far, and maybe this is probably one of the best results in in favor of that. I think in the Spurs game we were really dominant, but Conte has shown to be pretty bad in the bigger games this season. Um, and we did also have about a ten minute spell where we looked a bit rattled. Liverpool game, I thought that they actually had lots of moments of control um, where we didn't have, even though we had we were more kind of vicious and in, in, in taking them apart. 
So yeah, this would probably be like the most solid game that I think Arteta will look at and be like, this is what we want to do. And it's not like Potter's been, um, like Potter's Chelsea have been like really weak. I mean, they just went up against City and it was a pretty equal game, even if City came away winning 2-0. So they're a good team. Yeah. And like, we've already mentioned a couple of times and trust me, this is a thing we're going to come back to throughout the pod, like the level of control that we had. And you mentioned how... Potter was using Sterling down that right-hand side in a channel that we left pretty open. Now, we're not going to go too in-depth on this, mainly because uh, John, friend of the pod, as mentioned, <laughs> has done an incredible job of breaking down these situations over on uh, TFO Football. So if you want to like have an audio-visual experience, be able to watch and see and really understand what we do well, go over to the TFO, TFO IRL YouTube channel because... Uh, I think is the video on like why is Arsenal's defense so good uh, in particular like John goes through um these two sterling chances that they had down that right hand side and talks about how basically we were in control the whole time like we left that space open intentionally Chelsea tried to exploit it and uh we were we just didn't let them because we wanted them to do that and they fell into our nice little counter attacking trap uh and never really got any breaks down the middle, uh, which is where you really, really is dangerous. So go and watch that John video so we don't have to do a worse job of explaining what rest defense is. Um, but being able to control the way in which teams can counter against us and stop them from hitting us down the gut and stop them from being able to create really dangerous opportunities against us in transition is one of the biggest one of the most noticeable things that happens in game that's an example of how we are in control yeah i totally agree we've also spoken about rest defense before um i think definitely watch that john video um and yeah i think it, it kind of plays into the whole idea of like what control is especially to our tets. i think it's this idea that it's that preparation or preparedness for the next phase right being able to control what happens in that next phase so you know, if you're winning the ball back, is there now a nice control structure to be able to keep possession, set yourself up to attack? If you're losing the ball, having that rest defense to be able to defend. And I think we don't need to go too much into the rest defense because I, I agree, like, <laughs> John's done a better job than would be able to, especially without any sort of visual stuff. I will say, I think um, Saliba makes that so much better. And I think, obviously, there's this this idea of, like, I don't think it's that Saliba's just come in and he's made our, our rest defense. He's playing within a good structure. But he's also... I think with rest defense, you often really need intelligent players. And he's, especially in this Chelsea game, I think he was practically flawless beyond like one mistake. Um, and especially in those, in those moments, as John showed, like he takes up these perfect positions. He, he's really calculated in what he does. And I think it's really important to kind of have that to be able to defend. What I think is more interesting, maybe if we talk about control is just speaking about what we do in possession, because this is where we've really added to our control to be able to kind of, you know, pin teams in. And I think we speak about rest defense, obviously that's when they got, you know, right towards our own box, but especially in the second half, and I think we were even maybe better in the second half, right? Is that we were actually pinning teams so high. We were pinning Chelsea so high that they were really struggling to get out of their own third at times. And I think a lot of that came from what we were doing in possession, just being able to build a really nice structure that every time they kind of won the ball back, there was like this instant pressure cooker environment. I, I keep using that phrase, but I think it really 
explains what we do so well and you can really see them struggling. I think this concept of control in football is really, really interesting because it's one of those tactical concepts that as someone who just kind of watches football for the fun of it, as a casual football fan, you get the vibe for it without ever really knowing why, you know? Like, even, like, without any tactical thinking, you can go down the pub, watch a game, and you know which team has been running the match and which team hasn't, if you've been paying even the slightest amount of attention. But when you try to dig into why, it can be quite difficult to explain. Like, I doubt you'd be able to go to a group of mates down the pub and be like, okay, what are they doing that makes you think that they're in control? And the answer is just like, no, 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 they feel like they're in control. But there are things that teams can do. The rest defense is one thing that we're not really going to talk about. Um, as you put it, it's being prepared for the next phase. So I just want to, I, I want to know what you look for when watching Arsenal, what you see that suggests that we're in control and what you see that suggests that we're not. So you mean tactically or just in, in terms of like specific tactical things that we do or just in general, like decision making in possession? I know that's not very clear, but I think one thing is that I'll speak about when we lost control. And I know we'll kind of speak about we can go back to that Spurs game where we just started trying to rush the ball forward too often. And basically what that was doing is because I got it like we were really just trying to hit the team back after conceding. Cool mentality. That's what we're doing now. Right. Um, but also it was just happening so quick that we didn't set up this nice sort of structure where there were these people taking up the positions, players taking up the positions, and there was a nice sort of structure for when we lost to be able to kind of contain the threat after losing. So I think one of the big things about control is just being able to not, to kind of know when you kind of hit that long ball, you know, down the channel, get it to Martinelli on the counter, or when you kind of just set up players in the right positions you know, that whole Pep Guardiola rule, I think is what he makes his team pass 15 times before they can try mm. get a shot off. It's two set players up in the right positions, because obviously if you, if you're attacking too quickly and you're ending with a shot too quickly, maybe Ben White isn't where he needs to be. Maybe Partey is too high and he needs to be a bit lower. It's that sort of thing. So I think that plays into it. Um, I think it'll interesting. We can kind of speak about the Southampton game where I wasn't here. Um, and you guys spoke about it already, but I think we did lose control. Yeah, because it's been a couple of weeks since the Southampton game, but even watching it as someone who like doesn't know what I'm looking for particularly, like we weren't as in control of that game as we would like to be. Uh, and so what do you think was the cause of that? So I think there's some things. I think having Tommy Asu didn't help. Um, he was really great in the Liverpool game, and then he kind of got three next games to play probably should not have right but I think just having that there wasn't that sort of control he didn't really know where to kind of position he wasn't really comfortable inverting so that made it a little bit less we just weren't as fluid in possession and it meant that guys like uh, like we were actually going through a game together you could kind of see where Tommy Yasu wasn't making himself open wasn't coming in then it pulled Jacque in unnecessarily or it actually pulled often it would pull Martinelli even in because because Tommy was staying too wide, but not with an out ball to, to Martinelli. So just sort of things that not only does it make it a bit more stagnant, but it means that players pull themselves out of position, but not in like that sort of rotational sense where we have someone filling in nicely behind, which kind of stagnated us. I think a big issue in the Southampton game, and I spoke about this with someone, John, but I didn't want to say it because we've already spoken about him like eight times, <laughs> but 
one of the issues, right, is that we kind of, and this has been something that's happened to us since basically it's been a, it's been a, a staple of like Arteta's teams, right? And we didn't see it that much at the beginning of the season, but it has crept back a little bit, especially I think as the teams got a bit tired and we, we picked up a, a couple more draws and losses, especially in the Europa League. But we started dropping in too much versus Southampton. And even if it was like two key possession and stuff, it meant that they could just pile a lot more pressure onto us. And, and yeah, especially without, without eights, I, I've been, I've said this before, Odegaard can turn really well out of certain situations, Jacques not really at all. But between the two of them, they're not as like, if you look at like the city eights, you can get, you can give them the ball, they can spin out and move forward. For us, it would just be a pass back into the, the defense, into the first line of, of play, right? And then we just kind of, we, we were the ones kind of getting contained. And I think part of it does come from just that confidence to actually keep our eights high positioned, high Jacques almost on that last line, like he has been pinning them back, keeping the, keeping a lot of space open. That's what we didn't do against Southampton. I think it's what we did really well in the, in, against Forest. Even in the first half where things weren't really coming off for whatever reason. I think Tommy Asu was a big part of that in terms of the fluid fluidity of attack. But we did keep we did keep our eights pushing up high. And then in the second half things did come off and yeah, we managed to punish them. So so I think that's one thing in terms of in terms of the control. Um, especially in terms of possession play. Um yeah, that that would probably be my main thing. I think Gabby J just adds a lot of control because he can come in and add that that third man in midfield or that extra man. Um, to keep to keep possession, and then he can quickly spin in behind. So he's huge to that, um, and obviously pressing from the front to being able to control. That's something I think we've been good at over the season. I've not had one game really where I thought we pressed too badly. Maybe maybe a little bit more tired against against Leeds and against Southampton, but in general, I think we've been pretty good in that instant in that respect. Yeah, and I think talking about like Gabby and his relationship with the eights, like that. When the eights are pushing up really high and Gabby rotates in deep, that rotation, that specific rotation, is one of the things that's been best about our attacking structure this year. Like the way that Gabby will drop in and then Xhaka will push up to push the defensive line back, or Gabby would push wide and Martinelli would come central to push the defensive line back. The way that we've always had people pushing the opposition back is really, really good. And like when we're missing it, it does. You you notice when we're not doing it because we are not as in control of games as we are when we do. It's interesting though, right? I think one thing about Gabriel Jesus is I feel like he's got a very free role and we kind of make these rotations because sometimes he'll drop really deep and I feel like it's the other players mm. have to kind of figure out. Whereas, you know, someone like Odegaard's definitely got specific instructions like keep narrow in these phases to kind of create that space for Saka to receive out wide one-on-one versus someone... Ben White obviously has some instructions about when to join and when not to that we'll get into later. But I think Gabby J is just like, do your thing. If you feel like you need to drop in to receive, you do it. Obviously, there's some sort of instruction, but I almost feel like he's the freest guy in our team to do whatever he wants. And then there are just rotations that are happening in response to him. But it's still really cool that we have like the ability, the freedom to set up in such a way where we can build a system around Gabby Jesus' talents. A hundred percent, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I was listening a couple of weeks ago to uh, Devils in the Details pod, other friends of the pod. They talk about Manchester United. If you Damn, want to know doing things lo- about Manchester United, shout-outs go to listen to CITD. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's the plugging episode, because it's just us two, so we don't have someone else to plug. Um, 
But yeah, they, they were talking about how they struggle to have that like line leading presence when Cristiano Ronaldo's there because Ronaldo will drop off and do these things that Gabby Jesus does. But because Ronaldo is now really old and he's lost a step, lost a bit of technical ability, uh, he, it just, it makes them worse instead of better because one, they don't have people rotating in to fill in that space, pushing up. And two, because when Ronaldo's coming in, he's not doing good things with the ball. He's losing the ball or like just making backwards passes. So it's really, it's really good, really nice that we have a player like Gabi Jesus that like one has the technical ability to drop off and do these things. And two, that we're able to build the system around him where when he does do that, we're not losing anything up front because Jacka pushes in or Martinelli pushes in. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I've watched like super amounts of like United, but I think if someone like Martial was there and was dropping in, you know, it's a slightly different story because he still adds value there, which Ronaldo dropping in adds no value. So you want to keep him for whatever, like if you're going to have him, you want him to be the last line presence. I think the thing with like Gabby J is we do allow him to drop in and we'll always have someone kind of taking up that last line. It'll be Odegaard or Xhaka a lot of the time, sometimes Martinelli pulling in. Um, rarely Saka. Saka kind of comes deep himself and all stays quite wide. So yeah, I think it works really well. Um, and that's sort of one of the things that we keep that kind of adds in. And yeah, I think we've just been really, really good. Uh, okay, we're going to have a quick break there. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how some specific players have been really helping us maintain or not helping us not maintain that control that we've been talking about. So of course, Gabby Jesus isn't the only good player we have on the team, uh, and he's not the only player who's really important to the way that we can control games. Uh, one of our other additions that we've talked about a lot so far this season has been Alexander Sinchenko, and how we are amazing when he plays, and slightly less amazing when he doesn't. His um, most used deputy over the last few games has been Tomiyasu, and you spoke earlier about how our control on games is limited, but when Tommy Asu plays, so um, why exactly? What exactly is the difference in our ability to control games when we've got Tommy Asu on the pitch versus when Sinchenko's on the pitch? Uh, yeah, I think I think I spoke about this, but just that ability to kind of create those rotations. I think part of of control is also just being able to, to threaten. I think it it comes into it, you know, being able to sustain pressure at least. And I think when you have Tommy is very comfortable on the ball, very good at like, you know, resisting pressure to either foots. Um, but he's not, he's not the most comfortable in terms of coming into areas to receive that he's not used to. I think he really does like to hug to the touchline because, you know, then, then whatever foot he gets pressured on, he can move to the other one and, and make that pass and keep possession. Whereas, which is good, but it, it doesn't help to kind of create this like, this sort of, increased pressure right yeah because Zinchenko one of the things that he's best at is when he moves inside so when Tomiyasu's on the pitch he's like and he doesn't really want to do that then we struggle I think in possession Zinchenko's just really comfortable wherever he's receiving and it makes a, it makes a huge difference because it means where, where you where the team is trying to counter you in one way you know you can kind of move that play to another place and yeah that plus the ability that he is able to be kind of a little bit more progressive um, and kind of just you know control especially in those middle areas, it makes a big difference to our, to our ability. And I think what we've kind of seen um, is that every game he does play, we, we do get these, these we, man, we manufacture these sustained periods of possession where we are kind of camped in their half. 
and they really struggle to get out. And I think for everything that Chenko doesn't really give us in, in being as solid in those transitional moments, um, close at our own goal, um, when he has to kind of defend on the retreat, everything he gives us in possession actually, in my opinion, does, it, it adds up to making us more solid, solid defensively in terms of sustained pressure rather than maybe the moments where teams can attack. And as you kind of see in that Chelsea game, he did, he had one or two moments and also in the United game where I think he's not always the best at judging whether he should go to the ball or the man. Um, and he, he can even be a little bit like almost ambitious in what he wants to do. He's like, I'm going to cut the ball out here where, rather than sticking with his man. He, he, he made those, that mistake for their first goal, Anthony's goal in the United game. And I think also for the, the Kai Havertz, that first chance where he kind of, Kai Havertz ends up doing a, a dumb cross across. I, I know everything was kind of blocked off for him, but I don't think, I think he could have done more with that situation. And I think Sinchenko made a mistake allowing it to get to that situation as well. Um, so he does have, he has those sort of deficiencies. I, I, I did say earlier, I think, um, if I haven't, I'll say it now, but I think it was also maybe his best game defensively for us in general, like being able to receive the ball high, um, handling people 1v1, which is something that he has struggled with previously. He definitely burnt out by what the 65th, 70th minutes, but before that, I think he was doing a really good job. Going back to the in-possession play for a minute and how much Sinchenko gives us in terms of rotations uh, and in terms of his positioning in terms of receiving, um, we mentioned how Tomiyasu isn't as good as that, how he sometimes struggles to stand in a good position to receive, how he might be just just, just in suboptimal places on the pitch. Uh, do you think that's something that will come with time as he... Uh, maybe gets more used to playing that left-back role? Or do you think this is something that he's just not good at? So it's funny, you're asking me this, but you're the one who actually has a stronger opinion here. Because <laughs> for me, it's kind of like, ah, I don't know. I think he could he could get better at it. I don't think he... I have doubts. Maybe maybe it's it's more... The left side, I don't think he's ever going to be... I think he's more comfortable inverting than Tierney is, just because he's a little bit more f- f- fluid on the ball, right? A little bit more liquid. Whereas Tierney's really stiff and you can kind of catch him up like that. Um, but I don't, I don't ever see him just having that like 360, that comfort to be a bit more progressive there. Like, like you've said before, he's really comfortable with the game ahead of him, which is why I think he'd be fine being like the left center back where he's kind of, you know, he, he's playing where Gabriel would be. I think he'd be very comfortable there. Don't think he's as penetrative a pass as Gabriel can be. Obviously, Gabriel has the odd, really stupid pass in him, but. But yeah, a little bit further forward where he has to worry about things behind him and people coming at him from more angles. I'm not so sure. Like, what what do you think? Do you think that he could be, like, really comfortable Zinchenko backup? So, as you alluded, I have a slightly stronger opinion than this. We were talking about this exact thing before we came on the pod. We were looking back at the Forest game, and you were pointing out places where Tomiyasu was like, he's here, where he should be here, he's there, where he should yeah, be Yeah, he just stays too uh, close to the man marking him a, a yeah. lot of the time. Because he's because he's not comfortable coming infield, but yeah, yeah, I I, I do just I I think a lot of that is down to the fact that he this is like what his sixth maybe a game playing left back. Like I, I do genuinely think that given time, 
in the position, he will get better at those things. Whether or not we want to give him time to get better at those things is an entirely different question. I, I think, obviously, the best thing to do would be to have another left-back who can do those things, whether it be Tierney or someone else entirely, so that Tomiyasu doesn't have to worry about picking that up and can go back to being the Ben White backup that we all hope he would be. Um, but, like, he's... I, I don't think that it's something that's out of the realms of possibility for him to pick up, because it's not like... It's not like a technical thing that he's, like, he's bad at. It's a... Uh, you should be stood here and not here. That's something that can be picked up on the training ground, if you ask me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think that's fair. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm neither here nor there on like whether he can do it. I don't think he'll ever do it to the standard we want, though. But whether that's able back, yeah, maybe. like it helps that sinchenko has been doing it for like five years at City. Like he's <laughs> yeah. so so good at it now that like the drop off from someone who's does it like naturally to someone who's just learning it's really and and he's come from a he he was retrained from being an attacking midfielder to to playing that role <clears> whereas <throat> tom tommy Yasu was what a center back and a right back at youth level and like a, a more traditional yeah. right back not not you know not like not malo gusto of leon who who is also retrained from a 10 from when he was at, in in the youth teams at leon so so it's a bit different i mean we'll, we'll see I also think just that that left back role is what Arteta wants there is a bit more demanding in terms of like midfieldery roles, if we want to say, compared to like what Ben White is doing really, really well at um at right back. Like what what he's kind of doing there is he's you know, he's sometimes kind of playing as part of a back three, he's sometimes playing as part of that middle line, but he's never really coming as central as like Zinchenko as we yeah. were seeing Zinchenko do. Or we were seeing you know, Tommy Yasu not not completely comfortably doing against Forrest and, and Southampton where he was coming quite central and, you know, trying to play those play play as part of like a almost a pivot with, with um Partey. So so yeah, I, I think he's he's well I'm not worried about him going back and, and being like Ben White backup, for example, right? I think Ben White I remember Aaron, friend of the pod, Devils of the Details, please please listen to them. We're we're doing shout outs this episode. <laughs> but I remember Aaron asking me, and this was only like three or four games into Ben White's white back like era, right? And he was saying, Do you prefer him to Tommy? And I, I wasn't really sure yet because I don't know, I just mm. wanted to see more. I think I'm a bit slow to come into opinions sometimes. But now I definitely do think I do prefer what Ben White gives us as right back versus what Tommy does. But there are things that Tommy does really well there, and I think I think maybe we don't need them as much as we used to. Like he was really good at, at holding width on the right and kind of receiving at nice angles and passing back into like really good angles for the team to keep progressing forward. It was generally back to Ben White to be able to find nice lines. Obviously Saliba's not as penetrative as um as White is, but I mean I'd be very comfortable with, with Tommy there. Whether He's that left back option. I'm not so sure. I mean, even though he's probably better, he is better at inverting than Tierney is. I still prefer what Tierney gives us there. Sorry, I forgot what the question really was, but that that's my <laughs> that's my <laughs> yeah. that's my whole one on one on on Tommy Elsio left back experiment. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> you filled it, uh, and I mean. We we can touch on Ben White a little bit more because I remember that discussion with Aaron uh, back when I think it was episode four of Potshot. Uh, and neither of us were really sure on if Ben White at right back was the future or if it's just like a stop the gap and we should get Tommy in. And I think I leaned more towards getting Tommy back in at the time. Uh, no, now I'm fully team Ben White back. Um, he is, 
uh, and we that thing that you mentioned, which is really hard to explain in an audio only format. Yeah, that's the problem. Where he's kind of <laughs> like 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 you you've got that the rest defense structure. You've got uh, your centre backs and then the people in front of the centre backs. Ben White can be one of the centre backs, make that a three alongside Saliba or Gabriel, and then he can also push up alongside Zinchenko and Party uh, to make that line a three. Uh, and he does this. He just, he, he, depending on where the ball is and where we are in possession, he will just change that up at will in game. And it's one of the things that we both think is really cool. <laughs> I, I will say though, I think, I think Tomiyasu is well suited to doing that too, especially in a defensive situation. Yeah. So, so retreating back to goal, I think Tomiyasu can, you know, slot in, in for Ben White really, really nicely. I think where I like Ben a lot is that he is just really good in possession and he can kind of do, he can he can play in those like in that half space a lot better than Tommy ever could or was willing to right even though Tommy is really good at like receiving under pressure it's just when there's when there's a little bit more to be aware of than just receiving against the touchline that I think Ben just is a lot better and then obviously with in terms of passing in terms of vision he just has that extra step even though I think Tommy is a little bit like there's there's more to tap into that we saw at the end of last season that Tommy had like a nice sort of cross in it. I mean, actually, I want to say, like, even in the Nottingham Forest game, he had a really good cross off his left foot. So I don't even think it's a footedness mm. issue. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think it's, it, it does come down to, to possession that I prefer Ben White rather than being part of that rest defense. I think Tommy's an able deputy there. Yeah. Uh, and let's move up the right flank now. Uh, because halfway through, well, Halfway through the first half of the Forest game, Bukayo Saka picked up an injury, and he came off and was replaced in what was I think was a surprise to quite a few Arsenal fans uh, by little-known academy prospect Mr. Reese Nelson. <laughs> uh, now, Nelson is someone who had a lot of hype coming th- when he was coming through the Arsenal youth teams. I know you were really, really into him as a youth player. You really liked what he did. Uh, back then, I wasn't as active an Arsenal fan, I'll say, as I am now. So, like, I don't really have opinions on Nelson's development and, like, the loans that he's had or anything like that. Uh, but I know you do, and I know you have you have thoughts on Nelson. Your thoughts changed over time as he came into the first team and then never really actually came into the first team and went out on his loans. And now he's here, and he's playing, and he's playing really well, so I'm sure your opinion has changed once again. So, Alex, just just off you go. Talk about Reese Nelson. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was I was a big fan of him in the youth teams. That's actually when I got first involved in like watching youth football and stuff. Was was that Arsenal team that did really well? Um, it had Eddie. It had Joe Willock. I, I was a big fan of Vlad Ragnar. It even had guys like Benasso, who who you know have gone on to be like come one of the best midfielders elsewhere. Um, but yeah, I think he, he was basically the standout guy. Just technically, he he's still unreal. I think pe- people can see that watching this game. I mean, we're we're recording this after the Brighton game, which you know we were all blocked from watching because we're not allowed to watch Arsenal losses. The broadcasters have decided. Um, but I mean, we did see that one goal, and his assist was just it, it. It reminded me so much of what he was doing at youth level, like the shimmy, the technique, those, those first touches. He's always in the right direction. Um, his weight of pass is really good. Um, I, so I was a huge fan of him at at youth level. He won he won PL two Player of the Year. So I mean, it was it wasn't just it wasn't just um, you know Arsenal fans hype. He, he was really dominant. Um, and obviously, I think he was also coming through at a time where 
basically it'd been what eight years since Wilshire had come through and we hadn't really had anyone who'd torn up trees. I mean, I'm a bigger Wobi fan, but Wobi wasn't like coming through as one of like the greatest youth products and Reese Nelson did come with that reputation. So I think there was a lot of, a lot of clamor around him. But yeah, personally, it was, it was a lot of like a learning curve for me in terms of like what it takes to be able to translate that to that sort of performance to senior level. And I think his lack of physicality really didn't show, like really showed out a lot more at senior level. And it wasn't as exploited, like, you know, having close tech and stuff, it really, you can do a lot with it at youth level. And I think teams are just better prepared to dealing with you. And you can't really have that burst to get that like separation of players, which is something he struggled with. At the same time, I think he looked a lot more timid at senior level when he first broke through. So it was at that time that I kind of dialed back my my opinions on how good he could be. I remember he had a really good loan at Hoffenheim. I did not watch any of that. Um, then he came back and he just, yeah, he didn't really do much. I remember when Arteta first came in. And if I remember correctly, I could be saying this wrong, but I think Arteta did coach him at youth level, like under 16s level or something when when Arteta was getting his badges. I think that's true. But if it's wrong, I apologize. Um, but Arteta was very familiar with, with Reese Nelson when he first came and joined. And you'll remember that Reese Nelson actually played a lot of games. Everyone was doing that sort of thing. Like, oh my gosh, this is going to be like his Raheem Sterling or whatever. So I think Arteta is a, was a fan of what Reese had to, to offer. And I think part of why it fell apart a bit there is that apparently Reese wasn't particularly serious, a professional. That's something Arteta's kind of hinted at and hinted at recently when he said, like, now we're actually seeing a professional Reese Nelson. So I think that's also probably something that hampered his development. Um, but apparently he's been he's been really good in a training capacity since returning from Feyenoord, who I didn't watch him much there. I know he started off really slowly. I heard he had a really good end of his loan there. I watched him in both games of the Conference League against Marseille, and I thought he was really, really good in the one game. Like, they're a man of the match, basically. Um... Yeah, he's had to wait for his his time. And yeah, I, I was surprised at how well he did against Forrest. He looked really, really confident in what he was doing, which is maybe it's just because he got that first goal. But even then, like taking that little shimmy, um, that little touch and getting that shot off, I think, yeah, it's just the Nelson that we did see at youth level. Um, I think you, you want to ask me like if I think he can become like... No, I, I actually want to know what, like, exactly you think's changed. Like, because obviously he wasn't doing it and now he is. Is it just that he's got a bit more physical? Is it just a mental thing? Like, is there something that you can see in his game that's I, I still have doubts about him because I don't see that, like, physical... I don't see that, like, lots of bursts. Maybe he has added a little bit more physically. I think one thing is he's just... He's a lot more willing to actually impose himself and take chances than he was when he first came in. He played really timidly when he, when he came into the team, which I was surprised because of how daring the stuff he was doing. He was doing some outrageous stuff. You've watched Omari Hutchinson, because I made you watch our under-23s for last <laughs> season. But uh, he was doing Omari Hutchinson stuff, but like just even tighter technically. And yeah, I think he just wasn't doing that. He is doing it now. Obviously, I still think that there are some sort of questions about like his physical ability, and, and I think it is so important for like wingers especially to and especially how we use our wingers right like we use them really wide and then they come in to have that explosiveness to kind of burst in that's something i don't think nelson's ever going to really offer as much so i have doubts about him you know being able to be a long-term performer for us and we've just seen we've seen rumors about um Mikhail Mudrik, you know yeah um 
someone who is quite got a lot of nice tight control, but also that explosiveness. So maybe that doesn't suggest that this has changed Arteta's view at all. But but yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, if you are, if you want to like know how good I think he can be, I'm I'm interested to see because where seeing him not have that level when he first broke through changed a lot how I thought about what play, players needed going from youth level to senior level. And I haven't really changed that, and I still don't think he's like going to be a long term Arsenal player. I think he's a Premier League player, and I've I've thought that for for a long time. I don't I think that level of technique and creativity when he's on it, um, you know that that takes you to a certain level. So. So yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. I don't have a complete answer. So your answer to the question <laughs> I haven't asked is he's going to end up at Everton in like three years. We're going to sell him to Everton for £30 I, million I was, pounds, and then he's going <laughs> to have a couple seasons and then reinvent himself as a centre midfielder. I was actually saying like <laughs> him and him and, and Jaden Sancho as the like the streets won't forget. Oh street, yeah, I remember Streets this. won't forget winger pairing for Fulham in 2025. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, my opinion on Reese Nelson is nowhere near as in-depth as yours. I've seen him in these games and not much else. But I think the best-case scenario for Reese Nelson at Arsenal is he stops us from spending £50 million on Mudrick. Yeah. Like, if he becomes the kind of player who can slot into a regular rotation with Saka and Martinelli on the wings and be like a mild drop-off, but not a massive drop-off in the way that, for example, Tomiyasu is, or Nketiah is for Jesus. I think that, that'd be great. I'd take that all the yeah. way to the bank. Because that's just, that's a player coming out of basically nowhere. Like, no no one, at the start of this season, neither you or I would say that Reese Nelson was going to be a decent squad option for us this year. And now he might be. I did not think Reese Nelson would be here beyond. I was very surprised. I was thinking, because remember, he actually turned down, was it a loan to Crystal Palace? Yeah, something like that. And I think that was dumb, and I think it, yeah, not not the smartest, but I was not expecting, I, I, when he stayed, I was like, he's probably just forced himself to stay. But I mean, to be fair, I think Arteta's been saying he's looked more professional for a while, and I think Arteta is clearly a fan of what he offers in terms of technique, and he's been playing, like, he wasn't lucky to score those two goals and assists. Like, the movement for the second one was really nice. Um, the other thing that I've noticed is he can be very on and off it. Like, in the Europa League, sometimes he, in the game, in the minutes he has seen, like, you'll see these flashes of quality and then suddenly he's like, just keeping possession, which is interesting that he's kind of showing more, like, imposing himself more in the Premier League than in the Europa League. But at this point, like, it's all, we don't know why that is or why not, so. Yeah, blah, 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 something, something, floor razor versus ceiling razor, needing better players around him, blah, de, blah, de, blah. I uh, wasn't even yeah, going I, I, just, I was just thinking, uh, I don't know why he does that, but yeah. I, I just look back at my notes from the Forest game, and I like I did write down, uh, impressed by his ball carrying and awareness of space in the final third, especially on the second goal. So there we are, that was a bona fide Alex Towles opinion exclusive right there. Give me another Alex Towles opinion. I want to know what you think of, of how we've been using Eddie. And by that, I mean Ooh. Arteta bringing him on, but every time Jesus is also on, then just plugging him in that left wing spot. So here's the thing with Eddie, is that until, like, really late last season, I think we should have let him go on a free. Okay. <laughs> like, like, until really late last season, I think we should have let him go on a free. I, 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 I think... I... He's clearly a player who's good enough to be starting as a striker for a Premier League team, uh, and he's not going to be for Arsenal. And as much as it's great that he's here as a backup for Gabby, like, he's... 
Uh, I, I think in terms of for many, if I was Eddie and Ketia, I would have been kind of hoping to go away and actually go and be a starting striker somewhere next year because I just don't think he's going to get that here. I think that's fair. Uh, in terms of how he's being used here, um, I don't know because when so in terms of why he's being used at left wing, like it, my assumption would be that Arteta wants that rotation from the from the nine. And so he's keeping Gabby Jesus there because he will rotate out and then Eddie can rotate in. But it's obviously not making the most of Eddie's skill set because Eddie's skill set is basically poacher. Yeah, and I think it's also it's important. I mean, I, I think it's obvious that he does keep Jesus there because he wants those that fluidity to, to remain, right? But also when... I think it was the yeah. Southampton game, he brought Eddie on and then camped him out on the left. I'm, I'm right in saying that, right? Yes. I'm uh, going to say I am right. So, yes. Yeah, I watched all of these games like in a row. So, <laughs> but um, why why it annoys me is because I think when you're making these substitutions, and maybe I'm wrong here, but when you're making these substitutions, you've also sometimes you've got to tear up the system a little bit because as good as you know, because it wasn't working. I mean, it maybe it would would have you know he has a lot of faith in it, being able to break down eventually. But as much as that ro- these rotations happen, the wide players are kept really wide at phases. And that's not where Eddie's good at all. So basically what we did is we took Martinelli off, we brought Eddie on, and then we stuck him where he's going to have like no effect at all. What I, what I would have thought is yeah. you are sacrificing some of that ability to have like that, that striker drop in, you know, the center forward drop in, become part of the midfield, add that extra one there, move, move play up like that, have those rotations, right? But when you put Eddie in the middle, you're, you're maximizing him to his abilities. Gabby J is still going to be really good at, on the left. I think sometimes you have to make these these weighted calls that I think Arteta got wrong. And it, it has frustrated me that... Because I like the idea of Eddie and Gabby J together. Actually, they played together in preseason and Eddie was playing more central and Gabby J wider at times. They did swap. But it, that was the general thing. And I thought that they worked really well together because, you know, Gabby J can still kind of come in. Right? So I think for me, it does annoy me because sometimes you've just got to have your, you know your players in the in their best positions and it does kind of like just to kind of shake things up a little bit like i think eddie would have got those chances in the box he's really good with his movement there i think he's a really confident finisher as well which you can almost see yeah we we saw that in the bright with the first break yeah i mean we've seen that remember that that like back flick goal last season and was Mm. it against chelsea potentially it was it was in some big game um it wasn't against chelsea though where he scored his brace but I think Eddie's got that sort of like finishing like confidence that I think with Gabby J and maybe I'm getting too much into like looking at like the players themselves. But I think as games go on, Gabby J, the longer he doesn't score, like his finishing becomes more and more exasperated. You can almost see him like overthinking yeah, exactly. and, and whacking. I would have I would have brought Eddie in. He actually had one chance where he was playing central because obviously those rotations do happen, and he got a really good shot of goal in that in that Southampton game. So those those are one of the things I understand. Like your points about like maybe Eddie shouldn't even be part of the squad. I'm a big Eddie fan because um, he's also proved me wrong time and time again. Like his overall game is so much better than it was from the player who came to us back on loan from 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 yeah. Leeds. Yeah, I, I want to clarify. I don't think he shouldn't be part of the squad you now. Like from an you... Arsenal point of view, it makes sense to keep him. He's a really really good plan B. He offers something it's, really different. It's on to tape. You've admitted but... to hating him, so. No, <laughs> I, I think if I was Eddie, I would have left. I, I think from an Arsenal POV, it makes sense to keep him. 
Like, like, especially when he showed that he could actually do it towards the back end of last year. I mean, I wonder what he thinks now, like, when, when Saka came off and Reese Nelson came on instead. Like, I think it was the right call mm. in terms of, like, bringing on who we needed to bring on. But, you know, Eddie would have probably thought, like, maybe I should be the guy coming on. Obviously, Nelson really, he couldn't really complain mm. when Nelson had three goals, uh, goal slash assists yeah. in 60 minutes of play. So, so yeah. Those are my thoughts on Eddie, and my my question is like I'm not sure we're using him the right way as a sub. I like mm. it when obviously when he when he comes on instead of Jesus, then he is playing up front. That's not that, that's no longer an issue. But yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's finish off on that note that you alluded to there uh, with Jesus is uh, goal drought, lack of goals, <laughs> uh, because we like we. I don't want to talk about it too much, but my opinion boils down to it was not a problem until it became a narrative, and now it's a problem. Because now we're trying to, like, force it too much, almost. Like, you could see it towards the end of the Forest game. People were trying to get Gabby a goal. Uh, and, like, we're talking about it now. People are talking about it in the stands. Like, and it must be affecting his confidence. Like, as you said, like, as you can see him getting more exasperated as he's really looking for a goal. And I think that's where the problem lies. Like, if you could just kind of, it, the cliche is pretend it's nil-nil. I want Gabby Jesus to pretend he scored last game and it will all be fine. But, like, yeah, he's, I think it's now starting to become an issue because it's affecting actively the way that we play in ways. I think, I think I have like, I don't mind it to be honest because I think every game he's played, bar like maybe one game where he was a bit off, he's basically, if you want to say like up to our goal threat and we like put a random number on it, he's taken it. He's he's been our biggest goal threat every game in terms of whether it's someone else scoring, whether he's winning the ball back to to get a goal, you know what I mean? For someone else to get a goal, whether he's the guy playing that pass in. And he plays some crazy passes. I didn't realize at City how good his passes were, especially just that being able to like cut himself out of a person and then play that really... Did you see that one nice one versus Chelsea where he's coming in off the left and then he kind of dinks... Dinks? Shimmy's in, plays that really nice ball to Odegaard who didn't, doesn't get a shot off. Like, he's really good at that. Um, so, I don't know. For me, I think it's it's the thing you look at, obviously, when when your team's scoring one goal every game and starting to get draws and like, you know, you, you, you look at why, like your striker who's gone on a seven goal drought. But I think, I think it's just something that comes with it. Like I said it the other day, like if, if Gabby J was scoring every game, he'd be playing for Real Madrid. If this wasn't, you know, if this wasn't his yeah. one weakness, so I'm kind of grateful for it in a weird way. Um, but yeah, I, I think just the value he brings, it's nothing like that comes to my mind. Like we should be, we should be benching him for a game. If he, if, you know, if he has a 10, if he has a 10 goal, uh, sorry, a 10 game goal drop, like benching him doesn't even come into the equation because he adds value to the attack so much. And not only to the attack, but just to our ability to defend, to our ability to build, which does end up becoming our attack. So yeah, I, I, for me, it's something that I wish he was better at, but it's not, a problem to the extent that I think when you call something a problem, you think something needs to be done about it. I think maybe we should teach him to chill out more when he takes his shots. I yeah. don't know, like whatever. Just, just let, let, let's make Gabby Jesus a nice. Yeah. <laughs> but there, there's no, there's no change that I would want Arteta to make tactically or personnel-wise 
to get more out of Gabby J because I think or to get more out of the team in terms of attacking because I think he is the solution to that. Like he he's part of the equation that makes us the best attack that we can be. So if he was on a fifteen goal drought, like a game goal drought, I would be like begging for his next goal, but I wouldn't be thinking, let's take him out the team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I get what you mean. I I think like everyone, I guess, I suppose I'm just slightly frustrated by the narrative. Like, if everyone shut up about it, I wouldn't care. I care because people keep talking about it, and I suppose we're, I mean... in a meta <laughs> way, we're adding to the problem, blah de blah de blah But anyway, let's put it to one side, uh, because today, as you're listening, if you're listening to this pod when it first comes out this evening, we're playing Wolves. Now, Wolves are bad. Uh, they have, they're 19th in the league with 10 points, level on, level on points with Nottingham Forest. They sacked Bruno Lage, uh, because they were really bad. But in the last two games, they've been less bad. Uh, I, be honest, I didn't watch the game against Brighton, but they, despite going a man down, uh, in the first half, managed to pull it back some, well, they, They only lost, they lost 3-2 to Brighton, so they managed to get some goals on Brighton. They weren't, like, squished, right? Uh, just that's despite being a man down for the entire second half. Uh, and they won 1-0 against Leeds, though we all know that Leeds aren't exactly amazing uh, in the Carabao Cup mid-week. So, before we go, it's everyone's favourite time. It's uh, time for predictions. Uh, Collings, what do you think the result's going to be in our last game before the World Cup? You know... Uh, two nil. I was actually thinking we, we should change this this up to like XG, XG. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think the XG is going to finish uh, two point six seven to zero point three one. Wow, that that's a confident. How do you think that that translates into goals? The the actual score. What nil nil. I'm gonna say. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, um, I I I think probably I I I can see us winning this two or three nil. Like. The comfort with which we win it, I think, is more predictable than the actual scoreline. Because we've seen in the last two games, like the Forest game, we won it 5-0 because we scored all our chances. The Chelsea game, we won it 1-0 because we didn't score all our chances. Um, so I, I think, uh, it, yeah, we, this is going to be a very comfortable win, I think. But I don't think it's going to be, like, a massively high-scoring game. I can see it being, like... 3-0. I'm going 3-0. Alright, I'm going 2-0. But yeah. Um, and with an XG of, let me just say like, it's, it's nice to say that our XG will be over 2. I'm going to say like 2.1. So like, let's say it's really in line with the XG and then give them like a 0.6 because I'm sure someone's going to fuck up. Yep. And then they'll get a one big, one big chance that, that Ramsdale will dive the wrong way, but they'll miss. Hopefully it's Diego Costa missing it. That's, that, this is my headcanon. Uh, is he, isn't he still suspended? I'm pretty sure I heard somewhere that Diego Costa is out until like the new year. Like I he had picked no up a straight <laughs> I had no clue about that. <laughs> Fair enough. Then I'll say, uh, yes. I don't know who. Gone. Who else misses it? Whoever. Uh, Adama Troyori. Adama Troyori misses the chance. <laughs> Oh dear, right, let's finish the pod there. Uh, Alex, thanks so much for being around again. Yeah. Congratulations on finishing your essay. Thank you. Uh, thank you to James Blake for making the music. You can follow him on Spotify at JWBlake and find him on YouTube at JWBlake because he's currently writing an album. He's making a YouTube series about writing an album. That's interesting. Um, other things. 
There are no other things. It's just thank you to listening. We'll be back next week to discuss wolves and the fact that we are doing quite well. We're going to have a whole look back at the whole season so far because it's pretty much halfway through. Uh, thanks very much. See you then.